Uh, we're in the series of fruit-filled summer, looking through um, the fruit listed that Paul listed as a fruit of the Spirit, that the Spirit of God can bear fruit in our lives. And uh, Scripture is filled with different topics of uh, our how we should act, how we should conduct ourselves as Christians. And Paul lists those in Galatians chapter 5, but we're taking our text uh, for this series out of Proverbs chapter 30, verse 25, and it says that the ants are people not strong, yet they prepare their food in the summer. And we're thinking about and pondering about during this series of messages about the fruit of the Spirit, about uh, some things we need to store up in our life to help prepare us for our future and how we act and conduct ourselves. Uh, today's word is long-suffering. Long-suffering. It's one of the fruit that's listed in Galatians chapter 5. Long-suffering. It's a, a word that uh, we need to ponder, that we need to think about, that we need to consider today. And the word long-suffering means, it's an adjective, uh, it means having or showing patience in spite of troubles, especially those caused by other people. Look at your neighbor and say, you're part of those other people. You're part of those other people. <laughs> there's always other people, right? That there's always other people. And sometimes other people get on your last nerves. Sometimes other people cause you pain and heartache and trials and tribulations and different things. And today, as we... Uh, I need some light on the subject here. Sorry if it shines off the top of my head, but that's the best I can do. So, having or showing patience. And we spoke a few weeks ago about the word patience, the first message that we've done in this series. And, and patience is a little bit different than long-suffering. Patience uh, means the capacity to accept or tolerate delay. So patience is just waiting, learning to wait. But long-suffering is the ability to wait with the troubles that other people cause. And that is true for many of the people in this room, I'm sure, that we've had to deal with people. That whether you're working a public uh, occupation or whether you deal with the public uh, in uh, general uh, parts of your life, as far as even going to the grocery store, people will get on your nerves. Amen? For one, they'll, you'll be parking and you'll have a parking spot picked out and you're going through it and you're driving around two or three times like a Kroger's at Portsmouth and you got your eye on this spot and you'll you'll be heading down through there and you're going down there and somebody will come up the wrong way and they'll jot right in front of you, right? And, and get on your last nerves and, and long-suffering is allowing that to happen without getting angry. Is that easy? No. Life's not easy. So God is telling us to be long-suffering to each other because He's long-suffering to us. And the ability to get through that with other people. And I want us to go to uh, Acts chapter 1 and look at uh, a scripture today because what better day to talk about long-suffering than Pentecost Sunday. Today is Pentecost Sunday. It's uh, the day of Pentecost. In the Old Testament... Uh, God gave um, Moses the books of the law, the Torah. He gave him the first five books of the Bible and allowed them to receive the law that the nation of Israel would live by. It lists 
feast in the Old Testament covenant there that God had made with Moses. There was feasts, and one of them was being what we would call today, and know today as being Easter, which was a few months ago. We just uh, celebrated Easter at the church. It was an awesome time. We had a great attendance, a great crowd for Bethesda, a record crowd for us. And Easter is a celebration, but in the Old Testament it was Passover. It was a, a celebration where God had passed over the homes of those that had painted the blood on the doorpost, and it was symbolic to the New Testament where the, when we apply the blood of Jesus to our life, that death has no warrant or has no bearing in our life, that we can overcome that. And Passover uh, happened for Jesus that he was buried. He, he was crucified on the cross. He was buried in the tomb, and three days later he came to life, back to life, because he was resurrected because of God's will in his life. And uh, so as we think about that, that today's Pentecost Sunday, it's 50 days after Easter. So today is 50 days later. We're 50 days out from Easter. And today would have, in, in the nation of Israel, is the day of Pentecost. So if you would be over in Jerusalem today, they're celebrating Pentecost today, even uh, the Jews that are there today. It's a long-standing tradition with them. But it's a, a, a sign of waiting. So Acts chapter 1, verse 1, it says, the former account I made of the office, that Luke the physician's right in this, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach until the day in which he was taken up. After though, through the Holy Spirit had given the commandments and to the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs, being seen by them for 40 days and speaking the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. So in long suffering, and let's look at this text from a, a, a viewpoint of long suffering that Luke the physician is writing this that to his friend Theophilus and he's telling him about what Jesus did. Jesus was on the cross of Calvary, that he, he suffered there, that he was in the tomb for three days and when he arose from the dead that he hung out with his buddies for 40 days. For 40 days he walked and talked with them he uh, showed them many infallible proofs. It means they wasn't capable of failing. That Jesus' resurrection is a proven thing. And Luke is writing it so that we would know today in our culture, even in today, 2,000 years later, that there were many infallible proofs that Jesus rose from the dead. It wasn't a hoax. The tomb wasn't empty because somebody broke in and took the body. The tomb is empty today because Jesus Christ is alive and well. Amen. He's the one true living God that is the mediation between us and God for our sins. So it's what the New Testament says. So we need to think about this in terms of long-suffering. That Jesus came out of that tomb and he, he came out victorious over death, hell, and the grave, as Scripture teaches us. And Jesus comes out, and he, wherever he comes out from the tomb, the Mary uh, and, and the other Mary was there at the tomb, and they were looking for him. The ladies were looking for him. Well, no men around. Yeah. Ladies, you got the upper hand on us there. Yeah. Amen. The men were scared. Some of them were in the upper room. Some of them were, went back to Galilee fishing. And So if you read through the Gospels, you'll see these accounts of where Jesus would walk alongside of these people. And they said, who is this? They didn't even recognize him. And, and they said, didn't our hearts burn within us when Jesus revealed himself to them? And, and other times he, he went to these other uh, disciples that were supposed to be the ones that stood by 
through the thick of the thin, and he goes out and he's standing there baking cakes on the uh, on the shore in Galilee. And he looks over at his his friends that he's been to his disciples for three and a half years. He he hollers at them, say, "Come on over here." And one of them understands Peter, being the one that understood first. He jumped out of the boat and swam to the shore, and it's Jesus there baking cakes. And as we look at that as long suffering, you need to think about Jesus Christ. And as I pondered this, is him hanging on the cross of Calvary for the death, for the sins of all mankind, for all of humanity. Jesus hanging on that cross, and he looks down on that cross, and he's supposed to have like 12 disciples. He's supposed to have all these other people. He's fed 3,000 one time. He fed 5,000 another time. He's done great miracles. There's a guy that he brought, you know, that got the sight. The lame man was caused to walk again. And all these different things that Jesus had done. But he looks down off the cross and he looks down and there's Mary and, and another lady, Mary, and, and John, the apostle, the only one standing there. Long-suffering. How others treat us. So you need to think about from Jesus' perspective, what would it be like to have these 12 friends that you say are going to stick with me through the thick and the thin and whenever you get in the worst point in your life when you really need somebody, you look down and nobody's there save one and he's just a 14 or 15 year old boy that really can't do much. Is that not a reality in our life as well? Come on, somebody. Whenever we get in the thick of, the, of life and it seems like it's piling on our shoulders and it's overwhelming, that it feels like I can't go on, I can't move on, and it seems like my world is falling apart and I can't control anything, that we look down and we look around and everybody's gone. And we're just like Jesus, right? That we see that and we know that to be true because whenever you go to face storms, people will walk away from you that said, I will stick by you. Jesus knew what long-suffering was like. He knew this fruit. And just a night or two before this account of the cross, Jesus takes his disciples and they're heading back in Jerusalem and he rides this donkey the week before and everybody's celebrating their throwing branches and Hosanna, glory to God in the highest and it's going to be peace on earth and Jesus is riding on this donkey and going through and everybody's celebrating and here you come a week later and he's, he's feeling the weight of the world coming out on his shoulders and he's telling his disciples, he says, let's go up into the garden of Gethsemane and let's go up there and we're going to pray. Let's have a prayer meeting. It'll be like today, let's call for a prayer meeting at Bethesda. Everybody just come and pray. How many shows up? Very few. So Jesus goes up into that hill and he, he tells his disciples, he says, wait right here, I'm going to go on up into the mountain I'm going to go pray. But stay here and pray for me because I feel like I'm going through a situation of burden in my life and I need prayer right now. My 12 buddies, I've chose you, I've picked you, I've anointed you, I've appointed you, I've called you my disciples, I've called you my apostles. Please hang by me and pray right now. So he goes up in the mountain, he comes back down a little bit later, the Bible says whenever he comes down off the mountain, that his disciples are there and they're asleep. Yes. What happens when your friends are asleep through your storm? Yeah. Yeah. How do we treat them? What's the fruit of what does the Bible teach us? How should we treat those that sleep when we ask them to pray? So Jesus wakes him up and he, he tells his disciples, he says, Couldn't you tarry? Can you wait? Can you can you pray just for a season, just for an hour, even an hour? Give me an hour, please. And he wakes them up and they're like, Okay, yeah, we're sorry, Lord, we're we're gonna do better next time. Sounds like us, right? So we're sitting there and we're, yeah, we'll do better next time, Jesus. And, and he walks up to the mountain again to pray, and he's up there a little bit and he comes back down, and guess what they're doing? They're sleeping. How sad. 
Jesus knows about long-suffering. He knows about suffering. He knows about abandonment. He knows when others have walked away. And it's symbolic to our lives today. But the deal is about fruit is how do we act no matter how we're treated. This is coming from a guy that deals with road rage. Has anybody else in the room got road rage? I, I get tore up on the road. I drive. If somebody's going too slow, I might have about going too slow. And then if I'm going fast and somebody else is even going faster than me and they rob a bumper, I get mad at them because they're going too fast. Come on, somebody. That's what we, the way we are. It's like there's no perfection other than me, I guess. I don't know. But how do I treat people? And the thing is, if we got Bethesda stickers on our cars, uh-oh, what if we blow the horn? What if we holler at people? What if we treat people mean? Jesus doesn't want us acting like that. Amen? He wants us to be long-suffering, to deal with other people's ignorance a long time. Does anybody feel like that's the truth, that Jesus allows us to go through this stuff and it seems like, man, it seems like this has been going on forever with me, but it's not been over yet? Guess what? It's not going to be. It's going to continue the rest of your life. As long as you're breathing air, other people are going to hurt your feelings. They're going to abandon you. They're going to walk away from you. And then 10 years later, walk right back in your life and act like they never left. Amen. And the deal is, how do we treat them when they do us that way? The way Jesus treated his disciples. This Acts chapter 1, I love it. Oh, Theophilus, and Luke's writing this account because he experienced this. And he told him, he said, when Jesus came out of the grave, he showed himself with many infallible proofs to his disciples, to the people who was already supposed to believe. He had to prove it to Thomas. Thomas said, I don't believe you, Jesus. Jesus said, well, touch my hands then. Touch my side. See if it ain't true, Thomas. And there's going to be people believe that haven't been able to see these things, Thomas. And they're going to be great. He's talking about us that believe even though we've never seen Jesus. I believe He is the Son of God. I believe He was born of a virgin. I believe He lived 30 sinless years of life. I believe that He was crucified on a cross. I believe that He was in that tomb. And I believe He came out of there victorious over death, hell, and the grave. Amen. He's alive, church, today. We are celebrating Easter all over again. It's 50 days later, but it's exciting. Yes, amen. Jesus amen. is alive. But he goes and he gets all his disciples and he finally gathers them together and he, he's got them all assembled about him there and he, he's talking to them and he's showing them 40 days of this. And what should we do in the midst of those 40 days of why we're going through the storm that we seek that abandonment where others have left us, where others have walked away? What should we be doing? We should be doing what Jesus did, showing infallible proofs. God still don't fail. Come on, church. God still does not fail. He is incapable of failing our lives. Amen? God is proven true over and over and over again in my life when it seemed like all hell was coming against me, when it seemed like the enemy was coming with the storms of life. It, I can tell you this today, that I have saw God move mountains in my life. They're infallible proofs today. They're still there. We should do what Jesus did. Keep showing the infallible proofs. It's something the church needs to be doing today. 
I believe that we're failing him. He's not failing us. That could be a tweet or something, couldn't it? Amen. I think we're failing him. He ain't failing us. Then it goes on to say that Jesus, he was speaking of things pertaining to the kingdom of God. That's the holy communication that will come out of our mouth whenever we talk to people that might not even believe. They may be drinking a beer. They may be drinking liquor. And if we talk about anything in this life, what should we be talking about? If we're going to be like Jesus, we need to do what Jesus did. And Jesus was talking to people that was probably drunk. And He was speaking to them. And He spoke about the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. It's what the church should be doing today. We're long, we should be long-suffering with this world. Amen? We should look out at society and see people that is left, that is abandoned, that's doing all these wrong things. They're not living the life according to the Scripture that we think they ought to live. But we ought to look at them and say, I'm going to suffer a long time with you. I'm going to be patient. Christians should be patient. Christians should put up with ignorance. I'm not saying we're masters of it, but we should be. How well are you as an individual at putting up with other ignorance? It's a fruit of the Spirit. It's a fruit that God can give you. It's something that you don't possess yourself. This is not natural. This is something provided by God. He's the one that gives the growth. He's the one that gives the increase. He's the one that can cause you to act different than you used to act. Not yourself. You're not going to make your mind up. You're not going to sit here and grow, grow up some will, willpower and just, you know, drive and thinking, I'm, I'm going, I'm going tomorrow. We, we've tried that before. Amen. How many's ever said, I'm not, you know, every, every time everyone got drunk, Sean, I, I'd go out that night and just have a, just a good old time and get slobbered drunk and pass out and all that stuff. And next morning I'd wake up and on a bad hangover and say, you know what, I ain't doing that again. Never again am I going to do that. I'm making up my mind right now. I'll never drink again. Till the next party. Till there's beer involved. Then you just get drunk again. You don't have, we don't have enough willpower to do anything without God. Amen. Amen. We need God to change our lives. And as a church today, I'm telling you that right now, that nobody in this room has mastered long suffering. Not on your own. And even with God's help, I think you're still in your human form. And until you leave this body and you breathe your last breath, you're still going to have to be working on this. Amen. You're going to have to allow God breathe, breathe some life into me. Cause me to have some long-suffering, God. My patience runs thin. Especially when dealing with other people. We're a lot more patient with ourselves than we are with others. What if you got as mad at yourself as you do with others when they abandon you? You abandoned yourself a lot. Amen. Anybody ever let yourself down? <laughs> Am I the only one? No. I think everybody in this room, you let yourself down. But Jesus with these disciples, he keeps preaching about the things pertaining to the kingdom of God, even though they had abandoned him. They didn't hang with him in the prayer meeting. They didn't hang with him when he was on the cross. They went back to fishing. 
how aggravating is that for a Christian today that we see people come into the church and they get saved and they get baptized and they're they're full of the fire and the vinegar of God and they're they're like, yeah, I've got a new life. And then next thing you know, they, they care about the things of the world more than they do the things of God. And next thing you know, they're drawn away by their own lust is what Scripture teaches and they backslide on God. Amen? Or oh me. Some churches don't preach about backslidden state, but I believe it's in Scripture. There's an Old Testament prophet that, that God told him to go marry a prostitute. Go marry that prostitute. That'd be like a, a no God. <laughs> no thanks. But he goes and marries her, and he, he loves her, and he cherishes her, and he, he, he marries her, and next thing you know, she goes back out and she prostitutes herself again, even after the that they're married. And God tells him, go buy her back because she's on the auction block in the middle of town standing up on a pedestal and they're auctioning her off as an auction and he goes and buys her back because it's his wife. Yeah. Everybody say, that's long-suffering right there. That's putting up with some stuff that shouldn't have to be put up with. But God said, I am painting you a picture of what it's like for me being a God of heaven who is holy, that is unblameable, that my wife, my bride, the Christ, the, the body of Christ is walking away from me and they go play the harlot. And we Christians are that person that walks away from God and does the ungodly things and we beat ourselves up for it and we, we hurt and we, we just literally think about that, that I've let God down. I can tell you my story. At 17 years old, I was at a church one time. It was a revival service, and I was sitting there, and I was pondering, and I was thinking, and the, and the evangelist was preaching, and he says, if anybody wants to be saved, come up to the altar, and we'll pray with you, and you can get saved at this altar tonight. And I got out of my seat, and I walked up front, and I knelt down to pray, and as I was kneeling there praying, and snot, and tears flying, and, and all that, and I, was, I, I was just thinking, man, thank God, I've finally been brave enough to walk up front and ask for salvation. Whenever I picked God up, I was like, man, I feel like a new person. It's like a weight lifted off my shoulders. I was 17 years old. I didn't know a lot about life, but I knew I was in trouble. I sought God. I found Him and He found me. All at the same time. And when I got up and I was standing there and Pastor Pastor was preaching and, and he gave me a big hug and whenever I turned around, guess who the first person was standing in front of me? person I didn't like very much. It's actually the word we use is hate. I, I literally hated this guy. Okay, I'm saved, and I turn around, and wouldn't you know, it's just like God to put that guy right in front of me that I hate. But in that instant, in that moment, I knew I can't hate him anymore. I'm a Christian now. And I looked at him, and I went over, and I just gave him a big hug. And it was so liberating. Yes. To let the pain of what had happened go. Uh -huh. And I knew I was saved. I knew, Brandon, that God had changed my heart in that instant yes. at that altar. Amen. Within two months' time, I quit going to church. I never got water baptized. I never went any step farther. I just knew that I was saved. But I walked away from God. And shortly after that was when I ended up dead in that system. That my aunt had to jump in and give me CPR and 
bring me back to life because I was dead for 15 minutes. If I would have died in that sister, I would have went to hell, Brandon. That didn't even wake me up. Still went on a party, done everything I was supposed to do. I was the harlot that got him married. And away from him. He didn't make me. I did what I wanted to do. About four years later, five years later, it seemed like all hell was crashing down on me. I went to racing and I would give my life to God again. The Bible says that God is married to the backslider. He loves the backslider. You can't walk far enough away from him that he hasn't chased you the whole way. It's just like that parable in the New Testament of the prodigal son. It says the father would go out every day and he would look on that hillside and wait for his son to come home. That's the way our Heavenly Father does us when we mess up, when we walk away from him, when we sin. He's long-suffering to us. He's patient with us when he shouldn't be. He's painting the picture for us today and saying, I know what it's like to be abandoned. I know what it's like to walk, be walked away from. I know what it's like for others to cause you pain. But Jesus, these 40 days, He's talking to His disciples. He loves them so much. He's found them. He gathered them back around. Let's go to verse 4 in Acts chapter 1. And being assembled together with them. Isn't a great party when everybody gets back together? Isn't it a great day when a family reunion and you call for it and everybody comes and the family reunion's there? Have you ever been to a family reunion? If you haven't, you should be. Yes. Amen. I love family reunions. And we go and there's about 120, 140, 50 people shows up every year to call your reunion. I love it. There's some of them not there that I don't like very much. But you know what? In life, I've learned to be long-suffering. Amen. I've learned to love them no matter what. And that's what this is, a great reunion. Jesus has finally got all of them back together, save Judas that had killed himself because of what he had done. He sold Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. We know that story. And he's being assembled together with them. He commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem. So he went and got them from Galilee. He got all the ones that had left him and banned him, went back fishing and everything. He got them back to Jerusalem and he stayed there with them. And 40 days later, he stayed there and talked to them. He said, whatever you do, don't leave Jerusalem. Passover's already happened. And then it says, if you go and read, read through the scripture, not, we don't have time to read it, but you can read Acts chapter 1. It's not a hard story to read. But as Jesus is there, he tells him this story. Don't leave Jerusalem. Terry, wait here until you be endued with power for one high. He says, you've been baptized by John's baptism in water, but there's a baptism of fire that's coming, a baptism of the Holy Spirit. He said, wait for it. Stay here. That's some things that the church needs to hear today. We need to wait and tarry and seek and say, God, fill me with the power of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Why? Because I need something I don't have. So as Jesus is telling this, it says that he, He's caught up in that cloud and He's taken away. He's taken away. 
So Jesus leaves them 40 days into this party. He tells them to wait. And this is not an easy wait. This is the day where Roman emperor had sent troops into Jerusalem because of the uprising, because Jesus was announcing himself as king, and they had the Roman Empire there, and all the, uh, uh, the centurions and all them, they were there, and they were in Jerusalem, and they were killing Christians that would say, if you said I was a disciple of Jesus, you was in trouble. It would be like you or I going over today and entered in Syria. Let's all get on a plane. Let's go to Syria right now and go in downtown Damascus and walk up to the head of ISIS. Oh, Baghdadi. What's his name? His name's Baghdadi. What kind of name is that? That's some rapper or something. I don't even know. But that's the leader of ISIS. Go up, hey, Baghdadi, I'm here. I'm a Christian and I love you. You think he's going to suffer very long with you? They're going to torture you, they're going to torment you, and they're going to kill you. Amen. That's what would have happened to these disciples that were standing around with Jesus 40 days into this deal. And Jesus saying, wait just a little bit longer. Wait while you suffer. Something the church needs to hear today. Christianity is not all tiptoeing through the tulips. There's pain. There's abandonment. Amen? There's family that will walk away from you that will leave you abandoned and alone. But one thing is for sure. Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ said, I will never leave you. It's in Hebrews. said, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I will go with you even to the end of the age. No matter, Cindy, if everybody walks away. Yes. I've got a master. And he's always with me. He's never left me. He's never abandoned me. I may have left him, but he hasn't left me. How good is that? Wait, church. And even though it seems like you're suffering and you're saying, I don't like suffering, wait. Wait. Because the Bible is very clear here in this book of Acts, that good things come to those who wait. If you will suffer long and wait, it's going to be okay. We're not very good at getting along with humanity. As a human being, we're not very good at that. God created us in His image, but we don't act a lot like Him. He created us in the dust of the ground, breathed His breath in us, the Spirit would become alive. It says we were created in His image, but we don't act a lot like Him. So I was thinking and pondering about this, what kind of picture, what kind of story could lead us to example to see how well humanity is to get along with each other. And i got this story I want to tell you just real quick, and we're going to be down here in just a few minutes. But uh, down in Georgetown, Kentucky, just recently, it became the third largest city in Kentucky. And, and our uh, senator, our uh, federal senator's there, that's where he lives. And uh, back last year, or maybe the year before, it's been a year or two, he was uh, down there mowing his grass. He's mowing his grass and his neighbor was there. And I'm talking about long suffering. I'm talking about trying to get along. And he's mowing his grass. So Doc's going to be, everybody meet Rand Paul. He's here with us this morning. Here's, here, here's Rand Paul. He's with us uh, coming in the, in, the, in the flesh here. So there, there's Rand Paul. Doc's going to be Rand Paul today. And, and I'm going to be his neighbor. So we're mowing grass. And we own property and it's just dirt. 
It's just grass, right? It's just not a whole lot going on. So I'm going to mow, and we're taking off. We're mowing our grass here, and we're mowing. Oh, he's riding in one. All right, now go, you know, you have to turn around where you're mowing grass. You have to turn around and go back the other way. So here you go through here and work. One more trip, and here, here we go, and we're going through, and he's giving me two mean looks already, and I can't put up with the third time's charm, buddy, and I dive off my ride mower, and I run over, and we get in a fight, and I break his rib. I don't know. <laughs> he's ready. And can you imagine this? That Rand Paul, the senator for the state of Kentucky, there's only two of them, and his neighbor was mad because Grandpa Paul was apparently blowing his lawn clippings over on his yard. That's not very long-suffering, folks. And here's the deal. As that guy broke Grandpa's rib, whenever that happened, what should a Christian do to somebody that breaks your rib? Just because you blowed a little bit of grass over on their yard, what, how should we act? Everybody said long-suffering. I've been talking about it a half hour. Should have got it by now. If you don't got it, it's, I don't know if we're going to be able to get it through. We should suffer with him. So that guy just broke my ribs. What should I do as a Christian if somebody breaks my rib? Should I cuss him out? Should I kick him back? Should I go to the court and sue him? No. You're supposed to be better off and say, I love you anyway. I love you, Doc. Oh. Doc loves me back. Thank you, Doc. Wasn't he a good brand, Paul? Yeah. Give Doc a hand. Awesome. <laughs> Literally, it's the best picture I know to say in long suffering is that we can say I love you even when it hurts. Even when it's painful. Even when I don't want to. It's a fruit of the Spirit that's God telling us today. Amen. Obtain this, have this, because it's a gift from me. Won't you stand? Learning to wait even when others hurt us. Learning to be patient even when they've abandoned us. If you would, bow your head and close your eyes. I want you just to ponder this thought. Maybe you're here in this place today and you're saying, Pastor Bill, this message is for me. I'm not very good at dealing with other people. And God is challenging me in this place today. And I want to learn to love like He loves. If you'll just lift your hand up and say, that's me. I want to learn to love my neighbor as myself. I want to love like He loves. I want to love others even when they hurt me. Even when they let me down. Thank you for all those hands. Let us all pray for each other together that we as a church will become so much better at this long suffering that we'll say I love you even when they break my ribs. 
even when they walk away as family. And blood's supposed to be thicker than water. Heavenly Father, we come to you in Jesus' name. God, I pray over every person in this room. Lord, you wouldn't tell us about this fruit in your word if it wasn't possible in our lives. And God, you've taught us so much in this room today about long-suffering, about your character, about your nature. And God, I pray that every person in this room would clothe themselves with humility. Lord, that forgiveness would become a, a just an a, a, a action that we live by, God. It would just be second nature that we would just forgive and let go and let loose. And we would let you be the Lord of our lives. And God, I pray that there's people in this room today that has been hurt, that have been wounded, they've been abandoned by family, they've been abandoned by friends. And God, you're bringing back all these emotions in them today. Because you want to make restitution in their life. If there's anybody in this room that's a backslider on God, Jesus, I pray that you would help them to walk out of this room returning to their first love, who is you. But God, as they feel abandoned by their family, help them to encounter them and give them an opportunity Lord, not to argue about things of the past. Lord, not to bring up days gone by. But Lord, give them an opportunity just to walk up to somebody that's hurt them in their past. Let them encounter them in the grocery store. Make a way where there seems to be no way for them just to simply say, I love you. God, let us love you and let us love others just like your word says. And we pray that you would empower us to do this according to your word. In Jesus' name. Everybody says, Amen. Amen.